Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. Time for news from other parts of the world. Jonathan DeBurka Butler joins us once again. Afternoon, Sean. Jonathan. How are you getting on? Uh, right, the US. We're going to go to uh, first, where. Uh, an airline has been ordered uh, to attend religious liberty training, whatever that is. Yeah, well, it's three lawyers specifically from Southwest Airlines who would be a very well-known uh, organisation. So, as you say, they, they have been asked or ordered to attend religious liberty training. Right now, a bit of context, right? So this goes back to uh, a case that started back in way back in 2017 when a woman by the name of Charlene Carter, who worked as a flight attendant for the company for the best part of 20 years. Okay. She put posts out um, protesting against the participation of her flight attendants union, okay, at the 2017 Women's March in Washington, D.C. Now, you remember that Women's March was basically... After sure, the inauguration with Trump, yeah, yeah and yeah. they basically said, let's get rid of him, right? And there was lots of different groups there, right? And one of the groups that was there and was sponsoring the event was Planned Parenthood. Now, Planned Parenthood wouldn't share the same politics as this woman, Charlene Carter. And okay. Charlene Carter decided that she would uh, protest against the fact that her union were involved by targeting the president of the union, right? So she basically went onto Facebook sent her a direct message saying what you're doing is despicable by taking part in this particular march. And she also accompanied that with a video that was an anti-abortion video, the details of which I probably can leave to the imagination okay. of, of people in their cars uh, and, and wherever they're listening. And uh, so off the back of that, she was fired, OK, to cut a long story short. And so she decided that she had been fired um, in, incorrectly, right? Mm. So she took a case against Southwest Airlines and last May they found in favour of Charlene Carter and they basically said that she was well within her rights to practice free speech or free religious speech and that Southwest Airlines had fired her because of that. Mm. They ordered Southwest to pay out $800,000 in damages. She got her job back. And as part of that, uh, the judge in this case, Judge Brantley Starr, basically said that they had to issue a statement uh, uh, that Southwest had to tell its employees that they may not discriminate, I'll read it if you don't mind, against mm. flight attendants for the religious practices and beliefs, including but not limited to those expressed on social media and those concerning abortion. However, those lawyers for Southwest Airlines didn't issue that statement, or at least the st statement that they issued wasn't to the satisfaction of the judge, so he found them in contempt of court last Tuesday and he told them that as well as having to, you know, send out what he had told them to send out verbatim, that they were to attend this religious liberty training, which involves going to an organisation called the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is effectively a conservative Christian legal adv advocacy group um, that has been involved in... Lots of stuff, shall we say, over right. the last okay. Uh, okay. few years, involved, the whole thing in the culture wars. Mm. So it's a very strange ruling and there's been uproar about it, as you can imagine, in, in various parts of the media. Yeah, no, well, but then again, on the face of it, she had a beef with her union, she did. which is fair enough. She was well, well She had a beef with her employer. Yeah, because if she was just sending... Facebook messages to her union saying, you know, I don't yeah. support what you were doing. I don't know how that like impact has anything to do with so her she, employer. He, well, the, th the thing is that they basically said because she had s said that what the president of the union was doing was despicable and because she had accompanied it with a, 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 a distasteful yes, video, yeah, shall we yeah. say, they were saying that that was way over the top, uh, that it was way beyond the level of what was acceptable 
in how you can protest uh, in this manner. Okay. And they brought in arbitrators and everything, and it looked as if they had covered themselves no problem. And the arbitrator agreed with them that it was fair enough, you know, to get rid of this woman. Um, but she she won the case. Now, the case was in front of a jury, and I checked that, okay, because okay. I, I found it odd. I saw it in one report mm. there was a jury involved in the first case. And it's kind of there. That's a bit weird. But it was, it appears. And um, they found out overwhelming in, in her favour. Now, this was in Dallas, Texas. But this particular judge, Brantley Starr, he was appointed by Trump. And he has a bit of a history of, let's say, being right-leaning, which is whatever, like, is, is, that's the way he is. Uh, but um, certainly, you know, yeah. sending them along to this religious liberty training, as he's calling it, particularly to an organization that is leans a certain way. I mean, it's not as as if it's down the middle. It's not Switzerland they're going to. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Um, Uh, It's it's very bizarre. uh, And the lawyers, do they have to comply with this? Can they appeal? Will they appeal? They have to to go on the training course by August 28th. Now, needless to say, they're they're already appealing the judgment against them that found in favour of Charlene Carter. Ah, So they're appealing that side of it. But they are going to appeal this decision as well. And, and you can probably expect to hear a bit more about this because it's a very strange one. OK, yeah, another uh, yeah, another manifestation of those culture wars. Yeah. Right, Australia we're going to go to next. And uh, uh, this is it's soldiers being mauled by a crocodile. Yeah, yeah this, this was an incident that happened in August of 2021. So this is two Darwin-based army soldiers who were transporting a landing craft from all the way from Darwin over in the... Uh, west of the country down to Townsville, which is on the uh, east east coast, right? And on the way, they decided to stop off, or they had been given permission, apparently, to stop off in a place called Cape York Peninsula. And they, they had asked for permission to go fishing there, right? So they were f- fishing in an inflatable defence boat, which is called a Zodiac, apparently. And then one of them decided to jump in and go for a swim. Uh, he found himself being mauled by a 2.5 metre saltwater crocodile. Oh. Now, luckily for him, his colleague, who was a little bit older than him, jumped in to try and save him and he managed to get the crocodile away from the 20-year-old. Now, the two of them were very badly bitten and, uh, and, and, and mauled and they had scars to show for it, but they managed to get to hospital and they survived. Remarkably, they survived. But now uh, an organisation called Comcare, right? So Comcare, the federal government's workplace watchdog, are taking the Department of Defence to court. Uh, and they're basically saying that the Department of Defence of Defence, sorry, uh, are in the wrong for not implementing policies prohibiting personnel from entering crocodile-infested waters, uh, for not conducting risk risk assessments, mm-hmm. and for not providing detailed safety briefings around the dangers of crocodiles. Now, I don't know about you. But, I don't think I mean, the last these, bit you really need to do. But to be fair, I mean, did these guys actually grow up in Australia? And, and do you know, do they know anything about it? Uh, but I, at the same time, if they, one assumes if they pulled into Cape York Peninsula, they didn't know it was full of crocodiles, nor... I don't, I don't, I've never been yeah. to Australia, but yeah. from what I understand, these things are fairly well signposted, you yeah. know. And, and locals would know. But maybe they didn't understand. And the point, I suppose, that if they allegedly, and it does say that they allegedly asked for permission to stop off and go on this fishing trip. Now, that might be somebody's way out. There. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, the question might be, did they ask for permission? And therefore, if they were given it, surely the Defence Department of Defence should have known that there's a lot of crocodiles <laughs> in this place. But I, I think it's... Um, 
it's an amazing story, right? Basically, the goes to the responsibility to make allowances for employees' lack of cop on. To be honest with you, uh, but, yeah, uh, that's, we'll see how it pans out. God, you will see how that pans out. And, and and if the case, you know, what happens if the case if they win the case? What happens? That they're well, Comcare are fine, or? yeah, there could be a fine. That's that's what the Department of Defense are facing now. It'd be one point five million dollars apparently. Now, I don't I don't think that will go to the, the soldiers' yes. compensation or anything like that. I'm sure that's a separate thing altogether. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Right, Nepal, we're going to go to uh, next. Very serious, uh, very grave story. This about a teenage girl who was uh, having her period. Yeah, this is um, th- this is a story. I know we've covered stories like this before, but it's yeah. actually been a long time. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a few minutes, actually. But this um, up front, this is a, a story about a 16 year old girl from Nepal. Um, who was forced into what they call period huts, right? So this is a practice in Western Nepal known as Chaupadi, which it, 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 it comes from a strand of Hinduism, I believe, where basically when women are on their period, they're deemed to be unclean. And so they're kicked out of the house and put into these period mm. huts for, for the duration of their period. Now, it was a practice that was outlawed actually back in 2005, and you can be sent to prison for three months for forcing people to to take to take part in this, um, but this sixteen-year-old girl, anyway, she was sent out into the hut. She was asleep and she was bitten by a snake, and she was found dead the next morning. But this is the first death from this practice that we know of since yeah. two thousand and nineteen, which it turns out was the last time that we spoke about it. And we spoke about it in two thousand and nineteen because we were speaking then about a twenty-one-year-old girl who died in similar circumstances. And she had been the fifth person that year to die because of this practice. Now, from that, uh, NGOs, there was a bit of a groundswell of, of finally, although mm. the legislation was brought in in 2005, there was still 14, 15 years where the practice was still happening. There was a bit of a groundswell and a focus on it. And NGOs were very successfully dealing with getting rid of these period huts and educating people around the practice. But COVID came along then. Ah. And took over and stopped the um, the information getting to people. And gradually, there's anecdotal evidence, at least, which suggests that the huts are coming back and the practice is beginning to come back again. And this is the the, the tragic consequences. Unfortunately. Okay, and, and I assume this has a you know this is big news in Nepal that there's been one of these deaths again. Yeah, I I, I guess it would be uh, in in as much as that as I said it hadn't happened for a good few years and um, and now it seems. It seems to be back, uh, as I said, with these terrible consequences. Yeah. God, that's, uh, uh, that is sad. Uh, right. Uh, Germany, well, well, it involves Germany and Syria, but uh, a Syrian man has been arrested in Germany. Yep, this is a, a, a man who's been arrested in the north of Germany. He was the leader of a pro-government militia group in Tadamon, which was a neighbourhood of Damascus that saw a massacre of civilians in 2013. Um now, st- stupidly, from their point of view, the, the massacres and the various different things around this were filmed by the perpetrators, okay, back in 2013. And this is how this man has been caught, right? So as you know, the civil war started in 2011. Lots of Syrian refugees came to Europe. About a million of them, if not more, went to Germany, mm-hmm. various other places. And most of them, of course, were legitimate civilians escaping war. But there was a few who got through the gap who were just escaping, you know, the consequences of their, their evil, effectively. And one of these was this man, Ahmad H, who was the leader, as I said, of this pro-militia or pro-government militia in in uh, Damascus. But it's interesting how he was actually caught, right? Uh, apparently, 
those uh, graphic videos were on a government laptop and they were leaked to two university professors in the Netherlands. Now, these two university professors who I presume did this free of charge and in their own time, I were able to identify people who were involved in these videos and they befriended one of the people in the videos, an intelligence officer who was mm. still based in Syria. And they've set up fake IDs for themselves and they managed to get him to confess and brag about all these things that they had done in this neighbourhood in Damascus. And when they had done that for the guts of two years, they handed over this evidence to um, authorities in France, Germany and the Netherlands. And off the back of that, this guy, who's an associate of the intelligence officer, has been identified and arrested and is now going to go on, on trial 10 years after uh, the, the crimes that he committed. That's an extraordinary mm. story. That's it's a, a great story. Now, is there, within Germany, can you arrest somebody and prosecute somebody for a crime, an alleged crime in another jurisdiction? So this is something that we're seeing an awful lot of um, in Germany and in Spain, actually, where European governments seem to be using this universal jurisdiction laws for, um, you know, um, prosecuting crimes against humanity, right? And mm. so it doesn't matter where you where you did it it's, and, and where you're caught, you can be cro- prosecuted anyway. And there is a precedent. So in February of last year, we might have covered it. In fact, a Syrian secret police officer was sentenced to life in prison for the deaths of 27 people uh, that were in his detention, shall we say. And then earlier this year, I think a Palestinian man who was based in Damascus, he was sentenced to life in prison for... Um, throwing a grenade into a, a crowd of people in Damascus, uh, an awful crime. Yeah. Um, so there's precedence there. So, so it's, it's, it's looking very bad for this man, um, Ahmed H, as he's called. Yeah. It's extraordinary that they would have videoed it themselves. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. But I, you have to say fair play to those two academics yeah. who, you know, must have gone through the hours and hours of footage to identify these guys. I'd love to know more about them, but, uh, but there you go. Yeah, right. Uh, the Netherlands we're going to go to next. And uh, it's uh, uh, actually good news story, particularly if you're a climate change denier. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a study about uh, the amount of plastic in the ocean. Yeah, so it, there's lots of data and, and lots of detail here. So I'll try and keep it as succinct as, as possible, yes. right? So um, estimates for how much plastic has made it into the ocean over the last 20 years have, so up to now, ranged from between 50 million tonnes to 300 million tonnes. Okay. But a new study from the Netherlands led by Mikael Kandorp and his team says that there's only around 3.2 million tonnes in the oceans, right? And he reckons that he he has put together um, data and ran various different uh, calculations from 20,000 measurements, which he has described as very reliable. Uh, they're informed calculations, and he says this is how he's come up with the numbers. Now, he, there's a couple of things, right? He says basically that there is a lot more plastic in rivers than there is in the oceans. And the amount of plastic that makes it from rivers into oceans isn't as much as we thought it was. Right. He okay. says there's a lot more plastic on the surface of the ocean than there is at the bottom of the ocean or in, in between. And it was always assumed that there was a lot in the middle and at the bottom. But he thinks it's not as much. So I guess the reason why this is important is because if he's right... It means cleaning up the oceans isn't as... Much of a priority, but cleaning up rivers well, is. Well, it could be. Well, that's yeah. one way of looking at it. But the way they're spinning it or the way he's spinning it is that it's achievable in a way. Okay. It, because yeah. there's not 300 million tonnes as opposed to 3.2 million tonnes, which is still a lot. You know, maybe if he's saying the 30 richest governments in the world can come together and come up with a plan to get rid of the stuff, 
we might be able to do it. Yeah. But, uh, that might be a little bit too optimistic. Okay. But is there a discrepancy between the previous estimations? Like, you know, if there's if there's a hundred million tons, say, and he says there's only three million tons, where's the other 97 million tons? Exactly. So so what he's saying is that the, the way that it used to be calculated were based on models that how much plastic has been made, how much has been recycled, how much has been buried or incinerated and how much is missing. Yeah. And that's that chunk, how much is missing, that has never been accounted for. And it's, we can't assume that all of that unaccounted plastic has ended up in the ocean. And I think what was done before when the estimates were created was that that was the assumption. Oh, they must be in the ocean. Yeah. He's saying... Not necessarily. Not, not necessarily. Right. Okay. I think most of Because it's a, it's a big discrepancy. 3.2 yeah. million tonnes to 50 million tonnes at its lowest yeah. is, is a huge amount. I think most of it is in my child's bedroom, uh, actually. All <laughs> uh, right. So what should we look out for or, over the next week or so, Jonathan? Okay. Yeah. Today is uh, Independence Day in India. Um I think, um, I maybe shouldn't say this, but I think there could be a bit of trouble around that, yeah, uh, to yeah, be honest with you. But why. anyway, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll watch out for that. Uh, August the 20th then, there's elections in Ecuador and, you know, there's a lot happening there in Ecuador. There was an assassination of a mm. presidential candidate there just last week. So Ecuador has changed a lot in the last number of years and that election is going to be uh, very interesting to watch. Uh, on the same day, it's World Mosquito Day. I don't think it's a celebration of them, to <laughs> be honest not, with you. Yeah. But, uh, but to watch out for them more than anything. And then next week, um, on Wednesday actually, and we'll probably refer to this again, elections in Zimbabwe. Uh, right. Which which will be also be very interesting. Okay, great stuff. Jonathan, thanks, thanks a million. As ever, Jonathan de Burke about there. Moncrief, weekdays at two PM. With Anna Glaze. On News Talk.